0: really wise people and and just set yourself like really clear goals on like who you're trying to reach um, because I think a lot of smaller brands try and like be everything to everyone whereas like the brands that are really successful are the ones that reach have like a very clear demographic
1: Hello and welcome to the Together Podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Emma and Chris. How are you doing guys? Yeah, doing good, thank you. Great, thank you. We've overcome the lag issues online, we've overcome the microphone issues online and here we are, (laughs) coming to you, crisp now. We made it. Um, So, a big shout out for, for Chris for putting this all together despite any technical difficulties.
2: What a legend. Oh, you guys, you're too kind.
1: So, In this episode, we'll be hearing from the founder of Know The Origin, Charlotte Instone. Know The Origin is a sustainable fashion outlet challenging the norm of fast fashion. She spoke to Chris about how she got started and all she's learned since the journey began. But before we go any further, it's time for Emma's Dilemmas.
3: So my dilemma today is going to be to do with words and the way that we speak. Um... So the dilemma is: Would you rather speak so quietly that every time you say something, people say pardon, and you have to repeat yourself, or <laughs> speak so loudly <laughs> that every time you speak, people say ow? <laughs> Can you <not laughs> <get> ow? <either>? <laughs> <laughs> made me think of this is that because at the moment everybody's wearing masks, I feel like I can't hear people properly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually really annoying to have to always say pardon and to always have to repeat yourself. But then equally, it's kind of annoying when you're on the train with someone and they're talking really loud and you hear every word of their true. conversation. So what would you rather?
2: <laughs> to be physically... to. Inflict physical pain on everyone through you talking.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm in absolute bits here. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, as Chris was suggesting, the the question breaks down to, would I want everybody to be in constant
2: pain? (laughs) (laughs) I love the question. I mean, I'm kind of a fan I'm a fan of the mask, really, for one reason. Small talk is so much quicker now, because people just can't be bothered.
0: Yeah, you can't hear so it So, like, anyway. sometimes,
2: <laughs> exactly, like, sometimes I'll, I'll walk past like, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, rah, 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 <laughs> and no one has a clue what's going on.
3: It's true, it's true. <laughs> I think I do, I do like it when people talk loud, though, because I, I like to just be able to hear, be able to look at something else whilst I'm listening, you know? just know what someone's saying mm-hmm. rather than really have to tune in every time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, um, you know, I, just, just as a caveat, I would probably go for always talk too quiet just so I, I wasn't causing pain to everyone around me. Um, cause I'm not that kind of guy, but, um, I was I was in a restaurant the other day and the um, the waiter was wearing a mask and I literally couldn't understand him like whatsoever and so like to the point where I wasn't even sure exactly what food I was going to get. <laughs> <laughs> so so in that instance, I would rather probably have preferred to to feel a bit of pain because he was talking too loudly, but know the food was coming in like the correct order.
2: Yeah, if the pain is like if it's like the equivalent of someone kind of like just like giving you a little pinch, I'm not too I'm not too bad with that. <laughs> But if it's like just me talking is like someone's getting like punched in the face, <laughs> I'm like maybe not, yeah,
1: that very good question, Emma, and I'm probably gonna go with I'd rather talk too quietly and have everyone say pardon, but does that so when they say pardon, can I then repeat it at a normal um <laughs> Uh, volume, and then they hear it, or do they always say? No, pardon you
3: you always so you talk me. too quietly. <laughs> so you can't change the level of your voice, but they can change how they listen. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay, so they have to get up, <laughs>
1: they have to get up close and personal. Yeah, but
3: you need to keep two meter distance. So there's a challenge.
1: Ooh, ah, yeah, there a is twist. There is extra dimension. In that case, let's inflict pain on everyone who listens to me. Let's go for it. Go loud. I'm down. I'm joining Dan. <laughs>
3: I'll, I'll be back with a better dilemma uh, next week. Don't you worry.
1: Emma, that was a brilliant dilemma. Don't put yourself down. Thanks. So thank you very much for that. Um, if you're listening at home and want to let us know what you think, would you rather never be heard or inflict pain <laughs> on everyone who's around you? <laughs> then head to we are tear fund on Instagram. Uh, leave us a message. Um, we'll probably put a story out there with a poll just to get people's thoughts. Um, But up next, it's time for What in the World. So this is What in the World, where we discuss the latest in news and current affairs. Emma, what are we talking about today?
3: Okay, so following the rise in coronavirus cases in the UK, Boris Johnson has announced new restrictions to stop the spread of the virus. And you can obviously find the full rundown of rules on the BBC website. But essentially, for the next six months, I repeat, six months, we are going to have much stricter social distancing rules. So guys, what are your thoughts?
2: I'll tell you what. I do, I do, my heart does go out to students starting this year. I mean, yeah, that's a, it's not quite the uni dream that you're kind of sold in the prospectus, is it? But I think, having said that, you know, it's also not the end of the world. Uh, Uni isn't just, isn't just about going out in the first week and freshest week or whatever. You can still meet loads of great people. I've already seen, I've already like seen stories of people like, moving in and meeting their new flatmates and essentially meeting their new like quarantine buddies which is funny um but yeah I think there's a lot there's a lot that you can still kind of do obviously zoom we all know and love zoom at this point and I think yeah it's not that it's not the end of the year so no need to like do, do you
1: know what I'd love as well what is you could still go for a night out and be in bed by five past ten. So like, good,
2: so good. As, you're never missing a nine I, o'clock lecture again. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. What an absolute. What an absolute dream is. You don't. You know those nights where you go out and you're having a great time. Gets to about, I don't know, quarter to ten, and you think, ah, oh, still another like three, or four <laughs> hours of this. How how do I think of an excuse to to ditch it and just go for an early night and watch watch the Bake Off? You don't have to do yeah, that you anymore. You sound like a load you of fun just be to like, be oh, out God, with. <laughs>
3: Remind me to never go to a club with you. <laughs> yeah,
1: which is fine because basically my three years at uni, I was basically socially isolating anyway because I had no friends. Just watch the oh. Bake Off on my own. No, I'm joking.
3: It's I'm true joking. though. I do think it can give the opportunity for like deeper more meaningful relationships and friendships because I guess if you actually are just meeting your housemates and they're the people that you're going to just hang out with the whole time you don't have that social pressure of having to meet like everyone who is on your course or everyone who is in the societies that you're going to join you actually can just like hang with the six people get to know them really well then in six months time when we're released to the rest of the world then you can make more friends
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know? If you're looking for tips on how to navigate uni during these strange times, I would recommend heading to our website, weare.tearfund.org, uh, to find some really helpful articles about how to get on at uni during a pandemic.
1: Guys, do you think with this rule of six that in the future people are going to purposefully limit their friendship circles to six people just in case? It, it comes back again.
2: I've been working on it. I've been dropping people already, <laughs>
1: <laughs> whittling down in a Hunger Games style <laughs> contest.
3: I think it needs to start with WhatsApp groups. Like, I think we just need to start exiting all the WhatsApp groups that you don't want to be a part of anymore. That's that's phase one. Mm.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm exiting. <clears throat> I'm exiting the one with my auntie who keeps sending me random coronavirus uh, rumors <laughs> and gossip. That is just never true. All conspiracy theories.
3: (laughs) But that is true, though. I do feel like every time there's an announcement about extra measures or um, an update when it's not necessarily a positive update, I do think that actually is a huge impact on people's anxiety levels and mental health. Um, So, yeah, I think that's definitely a prayer point, is that for anybody, I guess, who is feeling a bit overwhelmed by the new news that we've received um, to actually just have a bit of peace and, yeah, be able to find some joy in the six-people isolation period.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing is, the other practical thing is just to keep praying for the leaders as they try and make these decisions and trying to work out a way to minimise the impact of of the coronavirus. And, you know, it it is a bit of a cliché and sometimes a bit of an empty phrase of just... You know, pray for your leaders. Pray for the prime minister. Pray for those making the decisions. But it, it is really important. You know, it's, these are huge, difficult decisions, and for anyone making them, in in, in some aspect, they are uh, damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they act too early, it's it draws criticism from some people. If they act too late, it draws criticism from some people. Um, and so, pray, praying for them as they're making these decisions. You know, we we believe that that God will intervene, and so uh, we we continue to pray for that is really important as we as we continue to navigate and hopefully aim at getting back to normal in in the future Love that! brilliant thanks guys for all those thoughts now it's time to hear from charlotte
0: um so i'm charlotte i'm the founder of know the origin Um, we're an ethical marketplace selling 150 different sustainable brands so right through from um, the highest levels of certified fair trade um, and organic clothing through to like products that help people live plastic free um, and more consciously.
2: Awesome and uh, I've kind of I've known know the origin kind of since the journey it first started and uh, we've kind of known each other since Immersion Influences which was, was a, a tier fund program years ago that we did. A
0: long time um, ago.
2: <laughs> a very long time ago and can you tell us a bit about that stage at that point like how did you get started why ethical fashion what drew you to that point?
0: So I grew up I guess with my parents being a little bit crazy, um, they took us on a lot of holidays, Uh, well not really holidays, but a lot of my friends were like going to the beach to hang out and we went on like mission trips to Mexico and like working with local churches out there to yeah. uh, build houses and I think I've been aware since I've been like an early teenager of like poverty and privilege, um, and how much of that I have. And so, I guess I've always wanted to do something in the like justice space and like making a difference. But for me, I didn't really know what that looked like. I knew that my none of my skill sets were building or construction, <laughs> um, and that I was much more inclined to like go down the route of like maths and business and like creativity so I did for A-level I did like maths business and then like art and textiles and all of my teachers a level were like this is gonna take you nowhere <laughs> like you can't these, this doesn't like lead to a career um so yeah I found myself I guess in quite a niche space where I found a course at London College of Fashion um where you could do like buying and merchandising which basically the people who like make product for like high street stores so mm. it's the stages of getting it from like a drawing from a designer like right through to shop floor so I yeah I kind of went to do this degree and I think it was around that time that I did Emerging influences, and kind of got exposed a lot more to other people that also were really passionate about like development and yeah uh, yeah. justice and uh, zero waste and all these kind of spheres and so I yeah there were kind of like lots of different things going on for me at the moment and I didn't really know a whole lot about how being like I'd started that degree thinking that I wanted to be a buyer um and move out and go and work at Bloomingdale's in New York that was like my big goal um <laughs>
2: I love and, it like, I mean my it, only knowledge of it is the reference and friends but
0: yeah you know, that was it I like, it. <laughs> like I, I wanted to be Rachel like that was the goal um <laughs> but yeah uh I think kind of getting into my degree I met this girl Darren, who was like a raging vegan um and <laughs> raging, she <I> <laughs> yeah well she basically was like oh have you heard about sweatshops and it was like quite an intense conversation that we had and I hadn't really, I knew of like the distant term, but I hadn't realized how prevalent it was to like every single store mm. in the UK. Um, so I started reading this book called Naked Fashion by Safia Minnie and it spoke about kind of the environmental and social um, sort of degradation that, that like fashion produces. Mm. Um, and I just was like, what am I like? What am I doing here? Yeah. Um, I was working part time at ASOS at the time, and like in day dresses, we were producing like two, three hundred new, like day dresses and women's mm. a day. Like it was yeah. a lot of volume and speed, and I, I guess all these things just didn't sit very well together. So I started looking into like sustainable fashion and like alternatives, mm. and like five years ago it was bleak like yeah there were literally brands that had like trees on jumpers and like Mm. everything was very itchy and expensive and yeah we wanted to pull all of these brands together so we organized this like fashion show in london to raise money for like a textiles project that i spent like quite a few months working on in tanzania so we managed with that like one fashion show to like raise enough to build like a workshop, so works with a charity out in Tanzania and they basically employed like locals to build this like amazing workshop for Mm. loads of women. Um, And they kind of like meet together and um, create like amazing textiles (laughs) product. And so it works with like women that have been like vulnerable or um, previously in prostitution. It's like another form of, yeah work yeah so I think it was kind of a mixture of like seeing that like I could use time at university to have like an impact yeah no matter what that was and like actually at university like we had so much free time we had like three hours of lectures a week so (laughs) me and Zara just like (laughs) threw ourselves into like doing research and looking at brands and I think I guess I tried like, I I kind of thought that I wanted to start something, so I sort of tried with a few different people to like make a project work. Yeah. Or so like, know the origin was called like Coalesce, and then it was called the new Story, and mm. just had a bunch of like terrible names. <laughs> um, and then we eventually got to a stage after lots of like funding rejections and of like eventually finding a fit that worked so we started originally about five years ago with working with like fair trade and organic producers around India so basically making like fashion product that was like affordable didn't look ethical and that started with like just eight pieces and then that grew out to about 50 and then we had like a Christmas pop-up that we wanted to do and like I couldn't afford the shop that we like I wanted to sell it in so yeah. decided to bring a load of other ethical brands basically to like start like sell like selling in the shop yeah. and they paid for all the rent and then it allowed us like half a shop in Shoreditch to just like play around with and loads of people that were coming into the shop were like, where can I get all these things? And I was like, oh, you can't. It's just kind of for <laughs> well, this Christmas two weeks. Yeah. So it, it just kind of gave me the idea to, like, rebrand note The Origin as, like, a marketplace that could make it, like, really easy for people to shop yeah. ethically. So, I mean, it's been, like, a long journey, like, lots of changes. Like, my accountant always laughs that this is, like know the origin point 7.0 but like (laughs) it really is like it's changed a lot and like we've started doing different like revenue streams in different ways and like now we're looking at like going into like webinars and like like a lot more of the like education type stuff so yeah so ultimately we are a marketplace and we still make our own label but that's kind of a smaller part of what we do
2: awesome well that's a lot to unpack there I really I, what i love about the way you just said that was like you kind of said it all very matter of fact where it's still very like it's a wild like dream <laughs> it was a yeah. wild dream which you kind of just like pushed through and i want kind to of kind of like rewind back to like i guess you had a few different inputs that you talked about you had like your parents and like traveling with them you had like your mm-hmm. your friends your asian vegan friend and How big a part did these different things play into like you forming this idea? Like, did you know that, like, did you feel when you were younger, like going on a holiday on like volunteering trips was weird? Did you feel that? Or is that something that you like, only post the fact you (laughs) realise?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I guess everything has like a big impact. And I look at like where I've ended up, I never thought back then I would have started a business. Um, I think it's just I couldn't find a place that I fitted or like that mm. I wanted to work so I mean even like I I think I struggle a bit with the term like entrepreneur or like mm-hmm. it's a very like I don't know it often like you associate people as being very like a certain type of personality um, yeah. and I didn't really fit that so um what is that
2: personality and why don't you fit
0: just very like brash and like wheeler dealer and like (laughs) just like it's I think it's like a guy often that has like 10 projects on the go and like he started all these things and like not really finished any of them and like whereas I'm more of a like commit to one thing and commit quite hard. (laughs) Um and I yeah, I don't know, like I found it quite difficult not seeing like obviously there are women that have started businesses out there, but there are a lot less than there are men. So like even when you read all the books, like it's like referencing like him or he does this Mm. or like so I think I never really thought that I would be in like in that category. But I think I just saw like whilst I was at university such a need for this, like um whilst I was at uni it was just before we did the first fashion show actually, mm. the Rana Plaza factory collapsed in Bangladesh, so it was yeah. making clothes for most of the high street and in this collapse eleven hundred people died and over two and a half thousand people were injured or trapped in the rubble. Yeah. And I think, just thinking, like, I was at ASOS at that time and people weren't sure whether we were making clothes there. Mm. And you just think, you know, we've never had more education and time um, and resource than we do now. And, like, for people still not to be able to know, like, who actually is behind the clothes that we're making, um, I think really shocked me. And, like, when you look into things like the true cost film you can see there's like it's not just at the factory level of like where the clothes are made but mm. injustice happens at every single stage yeah. um i think there was a stat that said like 61 percent of brands have no idea where the clothes are made but then 93 percent have no idea where the fabrics come from wow. and like at the fabric stage is where the most injustice happens mm. um I know like in the cotton industry in the last 16 years there's been like the largest ever in history recorded cases of suicide wow. just with cotton farmers in india so one person every every like 30 seconds which is like phenomenal and that's yeah. that's from like gm and like the debt that farmers get into and the pressure of everything mm. and um there's also like huge cases of like um human trafficking and girls being like moved um into working in like the carding and ginning mm. and spinning mills um and told that they'll be paid and then at the end of the time don't receive anything like aren't mm given like any adequate like PPE so results in them like having cotton pumped out of their stomach like all this horrendous stuff that we just have no idea about and like the production of our clothes costs like it it Mm. costs people and it costs the environment and yeah I think I just was exposed to a lot at university when I was doing that research Mm. all of these areas and I just thought I really don't want to work in a system that is like that so yeah. how can we do that differently um it's quite a
2: tough thing isn't it really you kind of like here's this like pit, like you said you were very kind of niche and like your subjects and stuff and it's like oh here's this here's this industry that could be perfect for me and then you kind of get into it and you're like oh this is this is bad this is not good
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel like I kind of wish well I don't wish this but like I think it would have been a lot easier if my parents hadn't of like expose me to everything they did Mm. so that I could maybe I think I would have been able to maybe switch off in a way that I wasn't able Mm. to (laughs) um because I think I it was just a bit of a nightmare because I'd spent 54 grand on my degree to be a fashion buyer and it isn't like business studies where you can Mm. go and do like like anything within business almost like I had to be a buyer so (laughs) then I was like left in this situation where I remember just going home and being like I've graduated but I don't want to do that job (laughs) so it's like every like parent's worst nightmare like oh (laughs) great (laughs) um and I just remember like at the graduation ceremony like so many of my lecturers being like so what like which like brand are you gonna because there were loads of like uh selfages and like all Mm. these type of graduate year placements. Yeah. They're like, oh, where are you gonna head? And I was like, oh like what you gonna do and I was like, anything except buying? (laughs) And they were like, oh (laughs) okay So yeah.
2: It's interesting that I do feel like that is a huge part of just like I guess people's journey of justice is kind of that thing where you said it's like you've almost been spoiled once you've seen it, you can't ignore it anymore. And yeah. I feel like know the origin like from what you're saying very much is just constantly being like well that's an issue we should probably fix that that's an issue we should fix that and yeah. practically how does that work itself out what does know the origin do that a normal fast fashion brand doesn't
0: <laughs> a lot of things <laughs> um so well I think for me I, I noticed a lot of the brands that I considered working for when I graduated were sustainable but they they were like ethical or like ethical in one area so for example use like organic fabrics but then didn't really know much about the production or Mm. they had really good labor practices but then they used like a lot of mixed fiber blends that of fabrics that couldn't ever be recycled or Mm. like but like decompose um so I think I yeah I wanted to do something that wasn't as gray or like murky because I Mm. think when you leave space for compromise then that like that's what's gonna happen yeah so I kind of I wrote up this like standards looking at what I thought was and this was like heavily based upon my dissertation I looked at like how the industry like could the entire industry be ethical if it wanted to Mm. so I looked at like I won't bore you with it but it really excited me it was like the capacity behind a lot of the ethical like factories that like, could they actually handle like yeah. ASOS making the switch or yeah so I think I like drew up the standards that looked at like the people side of the business purpose mm. and like um the planet as well so yeah. looked at things like how do they like get rid of dyes after the dyeing process? Do they use, like, independent trade unions? Do they... Um, it looked at... It basically has, like, 20 different standards. Mm. Um. So we tried to build the brand around, like, making... Like, hitting as many of those. Yeah, so that's kind of where we started. So we were ranked, like, ethical consumers' top-rated brand Um. because of the commitment to, like, full transparency and fair trade and organic production not just on like a few lines but on like 100% of our range Mm. um and it's meant that we've priced ourselves out from like mass scale basically because we don't have the margin to be able to sell into loads of stores um Mm. how like when a fashion brand usually sells into other stores they work on like a 2.6 margin so if we were to sell our products in another store we would for like 26 pounds we would have to sell them to that store for 10 pounds so obviously you can imagine like the cost price for us we've got to make like make something in there as well um and it's just not really feasible for an ethical brand to like one of our t-shirts cost us about 13 to 15 pounds to make so like it's almost impossible to compete on that scale so um, that's why you can only get you know the origin through our own site yeah. but i mean it's something that i'm really interested in and like looking into a lot more is like how can we grow the capacity of ethical and like i think that's where the marketplace comes in of like making it you know like bringing together a lot more brands and bringing yeah. people like the best choice the most affordable price point and yeah. also product that you buy because it's good product not because it looks ethical or like and then as well as that like offering next day delivery which I think they're like whether we like that part of culture or not like convenience is really important to a lot of people and I think ethical often steps away from that like speed or excellence Mm. almost um and so, I think that was really important to me, in like creating the brand is like making sure it 's like as quick as mm. great and affordable as a lot of the high street retailers
2: yeah, I was really interesting hearing what you said about kind of working as a marketplace and working with other brands as well because it just sounds like a completely kind of different business landscape to what we 're used to because obviously we're kind of like we understand businesses to always be in competition, one always wants a monopoly. But I guess in the ethical landscape, it has to be very much more collaborative. How have you found that in your in your journey with Node Origin? How easy has it been to collaborate? Has it has it been something that's genuinely helped as you've gone on your journey? What were your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I um, I think I guess it's interesting because when it comes to collaboration, you can very easily see like someone's motives behind what they're doing Mm. um and I think there are certain people that are like in it for themselves and making money and like Mm. which isn't a like a problem if that's what I like open and honest about um yeah I think there's nothing wrong with making money um but I think it should be done in a way that isn't you know killing people and Mm. you know made for products that are enslaving people. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think um we've always worked in a way that's tried to like build the ethical space. So for example, this is like a silly example but just one that popped into my head. Classic. <laughs> um <laughs> so with Instagram like we always try and promote like smaller brands or brands that are just starting out and we make sure we like tag them in the caption um and do like a lot of promotion on mailers and stuff and that has like seen like we've grown to just over a hundred thousand organically so we've never paid anything in ads and that's just free people like sharing and like but when we go to, like, ad agencies and we're, like, we've never done any Instagram ads before, they're, like, what? Like, how have you, <laughs> how have you done that? And I'm, like, well, it's because we've not been, like, fearful that a lot of other, like, marketplaces, I guess, try and, like, hide people from, like, clicking mm. through to buy that product from the brand. But for us, like, we do want everyone to do well here because ultimately... Ethical, like purchasing is still like less than 0.5% of general purchasing of clothing. So, like, it's not really in our interest to like try and stop people from buying ethically.
2: Yeah. No, definitely. I think um it sounds like you're doing an incredible job of that uh we just before we talked you mentioned about how how much you're growing and get bringing on new staff and developing a bigger team and even earlier in the interview you were talking about actually diversifying your income streams and stuff like that how has growth been for you like what has been some of the easy moments the difficult moments uh yeah how how has that journey been
0: painful (laughs) Um, I think like often you look at businesses and you think oh that's so cool it's so big and like there will have been a lot of people behind that that have given a lot of sacrifice to like Mm. make that good and I think for me like I've been obsessed with know the origin for the last like four years of my life and Mm. I definitely had to like give up things or like maybe not like always prioritize like friends or going like I've not had the money to like go on holiday with everyone because I've been like taking a like 12 grand a year salary or like (laughs) um so I think it's you know it's like never really easy to start something but um I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been just like you always start any venture with, like, friends um, or, like, people that are around you to, like, help with stuff and Mm. I think, like, as the business has started growing, you kind of realise that, like, ultimately it's my job to, like, keep the business alive and, like, and what the business needs is not always what you started with. Um, So I think it's been, like, really... Difficult, like balancing um, that, like, this is my job to like move resource around and like yeah. make sure we have the right people in the right place versus like, this is someone that I love and as a friend and like, yeah, I, yeah. so I've like had to make, you know, we've had to like make redundancies at certain times and, um, bring in people, which is really like, it's not fun. It's yeah. not great. But it has to be done to like keep the business alive and I think it's hard like as an ethical business as well, like still trying to do that in a way that is like loving and kind right. and but also knowing that ultimately you are a business and you have to create yeah. sales to stay alive. So um yeah, yeah. yeah I guess is that transition of going from like being your friends to then working with people Mm. externally and like learning a lot like every stage of growth you kind of I guess my head's always like in the future of like so even when we've like finished or completed something I'll already be like on the next thing so I think yeah kind of learning a little bit more to like enjoy the journey and all the like lumps and bumps of it rather than thinking oh when I get there like when we hit 500,000 in revenue or when we like get a team of 10 because that was like one of my goals for so long and then we hit it and then you're like yeah I don't know sometimes (laughs) it's hard to like stop and celebrate because it feels like quite fast-paced all the time but I think yeah knowing that like you're never gonna Not in, like, a depressing way, but you're never going to get there because there always moves. Yeah. So, like, just putting, like, practically being quite disciplined and, like, how you celebrate or... Yeah. Yeah.
2: And what's kept you going, then, through those difficult times is, like, how has, like, your faith played a role in, like, your journey as well?
0: Yeah, um... The first thing when you said what's kept you going, I thought chocolate. Well, <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah, not a great chocolate. answer. Like, <laughs> isn't an honest one. Um, coffee and chocolate are always a big beneficial <laughs> help. Um, but, yeah, I think having people around you that are really wise. Um, like, I've always made sure that I think about, like, who I'd most admire or, like, people that I look up to and I always make sure I like contact them and ask some questions mm. and like always looking for like wise people and mentors because mm. um, I know that like if I don't grow as a person as fast as the business is growing then yeah. I'm gonna be like almost redundant or like holding it back so yeah. um, I'm always like big into yeah learning but I think my faith has always been like a big part it's like why we do what we do and mm-hmm. I think it gives me a calmness in like I'm not always calm and together don't like take this as that but <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> like my faith makes me so peaceful all the time <laughs> like know but I think it's just like ground it's it's grounding because you know that you know like ultimately this is like a very small part of the world and like gives mm. you like a perspective of like almost how little and insignificant you are yeah. and like it's it's been amazing I guess it's just been like calmer to know that like God is ultimately in control and like if he wants something to happen like it will happen and yeah. um it like almost takes the pressure off a little bit Um I've had like loads of incidents where we've like been praying for funding and like unheard of like terms have come through and Mm. like um we've had like I remember one time we had a photo shoot and all of our stuff was stuck in Heathrow in customs they said that it would take four days to come through and the shoot was the next day and then like we were just praying that everything arrived that afternoon so it's just like you know like things like that where you're like oh I really I believe that God does like shift and see things and does Mm. care about the detail and even like we had someone resign and like then someone like had emailed me that morning to be like here's my like just what I should send this over and they were like the perfect (laughs) candidate so it's just like how the bigger picture weaves together and I think there's no such thing as like coincidences like I think sometimes some members of the team are a bit surprised by things that that happen but like I really do believe that God is behind it all and like I think a lot of the time it's easy to get quite stressed and like (laughs) about what's going on because it is stressful um but then it's just remembering to like stop and take it to God because ultimately it is his and I think I've found a lot of like freedom in like knowing that you know this isn't the only thing that I could do so like if it doesn't work like it's okay you know this is like um because I think every time anyone saw me they'd be like how's no the origin and I was like I'm here too (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think I was worried of what if the business stops like what if we can't trade anymore and um you know but actually like these are like this business has been built upon like my passions and like that would just start work in a different way. So, I think, yeah, I don't know if I've explained that very well. No,
2: that was great. It's um, but... <laughs> been great chatting to you. I really wish like we had a lot more time because I've got a <laughs> load of questions that I could Well, <laughs> I'll ask a couple more questions that I would be just interested to get your perspective on. Uh, I feel like 2020 has kind of been like a very big like red flag in. Everyone's <laughs> mind of just like I think coronavirus has kind of forced everyone to look at the world that we live in and look at the systems at that are at play. And I think there's been like pushback in certain areas, whether it be Black Lives Matter, uh, whether it be even like in education with like grades and stuff like that. For the fashion industry, like we've seen as well, like the boycott boohoo moment. Do you think like people are getting to a point where they've had enough? Do you feel like the fashion industry? will genuinely make a a genuine change not just a greenwash change but a a genuine change towards more ethical practices
0: um (laughs) i wish they did but i i think ultimately you have to look at like i think people talk about their values and actions but ultimately set. I guess where people are spending their money mm. is like an indication of what they really care about and at mm. the moment like ethical brands are on the increase but it's it's minute in amongst like big global players yeah. Yeah. um so I think like changes are definitely happening I think brands will be forced to make changes because of environmental impact. So, for Mm. example, with climate change, a lot of the fields are producing a lot less cotton, like the yields are reducing. And as a result, brands are looking for alternative fabrics. So, Mm. for example, looking at, like, offering you discounts to bring back your clothes into their stores so they can make them into fabrics again. And, like, that's not out of the, like... The goodness of their heart that's out of a place of like looking being like oh crap how are we gonna like continue to grow and make more profit yeah. if we don't have fabrics we need to like look at alternate options so yeah I think they'll be forced to because of the environment um yeah. but I don't I think ultimately it's like that gray area that we spoke about before like when something is started with a purpose like that is that drives everything in the organization Mm. so if you're started as a for-profit only company that will be like that will be your purpose um so I think it will shift I think a lot of ethical brands will start like scaling and growing as people's Mm. like consumer attitudes are changing but I mean every time there's been like a big exposure or like you know three weeks later their sales go right up again so I think our memory is short term and it's like how do we how do we like make people have like almost a behavior change or like a shift Mm -hmm. that's bigger than just like oh here's this new story and I think that is where faith comes in because like when God like shifts you on something like that isn't something that you just forget or move on like it's something that sticks with yeah
2: definitely our final question for anyone who's listening who's heard what you talked about is inspired whether it be directly to fashion or maybe it's a different industry um if they're interested in starting their own ethical business what tips would you give to them what advice would you give to them
0: um i would say just don't compare what you're doing to other brands that have thousands of people in their team and multiple millions of pounds of budget behind them Mm. um i think just start where you're at like start um don't be like oh when i get this i'll like i think our first website was horrendous like our logo (laughs) was awful but we just put it out there and like it was a bit embarrassing but you know it evolves and changes over time and Mm. um ask as many people as possible for feedback kind of yeah surround yourself with like really wise people and and just set yourself like really clear goals on like who you're trying to reach um because I think a lot of smaller brands try and like Be everything to everyone whereas like the brands that are really successful are the ones that reach have like a very clear demographic so yeah kind of go to as many talks as workshops as you can or like online there's so many resources.
1: really great to hear from Charlotte. If you want to find out more about all she's up to, you can head to knowtheorigin.com. What stood out to you guys from that interview?
2: I think like fashion is one of those things where obviously everyone knows fast fashion is bad at this point. Like I think everyone pretty much knows that. But some, when you hear like the facts and the statistics behind it, it's just so crazy, it's so shocking again. Yeah. And you know when she was talking about actually how every 30 seconds there's a suicide amongst cotton farmers because of the pressures that they're they're given in trying to keep up with meeting the demand when she was talking about actually even the amount of human trafficking that's involved in the fashion industry even things like uh, workers having to get cotton pumped from their stomach it's crazy and so i guess it's just kind of like it's just i think talking to charlotte it really just kind of reminded me how how crazy it is that we normalize an entire industry that is just genuinely like destroying people's lives. And so yeah, people like Charlotte who are trying to turn turn that on its head is is so needed, is so necessary. Yeah, linked to that it made me really think about the cost
1: of clothing and the cost to us being different to the cost it has on the world and on other people. And so we see value and we see a bargain, but as Charlotte was saying their t-shirts cost about 13 to 15 pounds to make. And so actually if sustainable and ethical fashion costs more, then whenever we drop below that amount, uh, someone else is paying the cost so we might not be paying it but someone else is whether that's a cotton farmer or uh, someone in the supply chain and i saw an, an advert the other day on instagram from from top man and they're not alone it's other high street brands as well offering a t-shirt for three pounds and you think by the time top man has taken a cut of that um, and the distributor has taken a cut of that you know what what's left like a pound mm. and so you're making a t-shirt for a pound And so we go, three pounds, that's a bargain, that's great, Like that's value to me, but the cost isn't just in the money transaction, the cost is being felt somewhere further down in in the way that the t-shirt has been made and the situation that it's been made in and the costs are being cut from somewhere. And I think that's so important for us to realise when we're buying a £5, £10, even £15 t-shirt, someone somewhere is paying the cost and if we're not, someone else is. Yeah,
3: that is so true. I think that with... Charlotte she's been doing this for years like she was saying on the podcast and one thing that I've always really admired about her is that she has this ability to speak in a way that is so clear and make simple a lot of the words and a lot of the things that go with this issue that are really hard to understand but she just breaks it down and always makes it so simple and even mm. to the point of actually how she even started her business and how you can start your own thing or how you can do what you're passionate about she just makes it easy and simple and she's like just go for it just get started and I love how she was saying that they're like first ever logo was just rubbish and it was embarrassing but they had to start somewhere and it's that simplicity of mind. that like if you're if you're passionate about something and you care about an issue, just go for it just do it and make the most of the resources that you've got available learn as you go and it doesn't have to be perfect I think sometimes social media can make us think that when we present a brand it has to be this level of perfection before we can actually start taking action but I love Mm. that she's just got a clear heart for what she does and to help people and to change the industry and she's just gone and done it and encourages other people to do the same and I love that
1: That's a really good point to end on and hopefully everyone listening in has been inspired to pursue the big dreams that God has given you thank you both for joining me today and thank you to those listening in we'll be back again on the 5th of October with another episode if you like what you heard today make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at WeAreTearFund